Hey, welcome to the Youth Pastor Theologian Podcast, where theology and youth ministry meet. You can learn more about Youth Pastor Theologian online at youthpastortheologian.com or find us on social media at Youth Theologian. I'm your host, Mike McGarry. Thanks for joining us for this conversation about practicing theology and youth ministry. We're joined here in this episode with our friend Jared Kennedy, and so we're going to be talking about trends in pastoral ministry. Jared is the founder and uh, leader of Gospel-Centered Family, and he is the ministry editor at the Gospel Coalition. So he's had uh, lots of opportunities to uh, partner with and and talk with uh, different churches around the country and various places around the world. So uh, Jared... Uh, welcome to the YPT podcast. So good to be with you, Mike. Yeah, thanks for being here. So, uh, before we get started with our conversation about uh, trends in pastoral ministry, uh, it's always fun to get to know our guests as their teenage selves a little bit. So, uh, when you were in high school, uh, what were some sort of things that you were into, hobbies, sports, activities, clubs, etc.? Well, I was I was actually the youth group kid who was there all the time on awesome. Wednesday night You're my and favorites. Sunday night, and um, led a little discipleship group. Would walk over to the church. Uh, my high school was like four blocks from the church, so I'd walk over to the church after school and uh, go to Sonic with my youth pastor and get a cherry limeade. Um, but uh, yeah, my two extracurriculars: I played tennis on the high school tennis team. And I was in show choir. And so I was singing and dancing to show tunes throughout all uh, four years of high school. Nice. So, what, what were some shows that you, get, that you did? Uh, well, we did, we did like a competition show choir thing. So it'd always be like we would do like, uh, like compilations of different musicals yeah. and stuff. But um, yeah, I was trying to think. Um, Man, I kind of fell in love with uh, My Fair Lady and um, and uh, Phantom was huge when mm, I was yeah. in high school in the 1990s. So those were two yeah. things that were that were really big back then. Nice. Yeah, I, I can't sing for anything. Um, but I, I was in the band um, all throughout elementary and uh, most of high school. Uh, I was eventually was a band dropout because I didn't know if I was a jock or a band geek or or what. So instead, I just never really fit in either. Um, but yeah, so that, the music wing uh, I was well familiar with, and it was some people are very intimidated to step foot into the music wing of a school. So yeah, I feel like it's a lot cooler now than it was. Yeah, uh, when I was in high school. Yeah. The 90s, but, yeah, that is true. That um, is true. Yeah, Glee, Glee honestly probably made a big difference with that. Oh, probably so. Yeah. Sure. Uh, Glee and Hamilton. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 We're also dating ourselves. I'm dating myself now by referencing <laughs> Glee. But, you know. Hey, well, um, thanks for, for joining us for this episode again and, and this conversation. Um, I'm so thankful for uh, your friendship. And as we were talking before we started recording, uh, it's just so easy <laughs> to troll on the internet about the internet, 
and to complain um, kind of self-righteously about how terrible Twitter is and there's nothing good and redeeming about Twitter and social media and whatever. Um, but I'm really thankful for social media uh, because of people like you uh, who I consider a friend and a colleague in ministry and I would not know you without things like Twitter. Yeah. And um, yeah, it's just really beneficial um, to think through the way that um, that the Lord has used social media for gospel ministry. Um, hmm. So yeah, I'm just thank thankful. Yeah, thankful for that. Um, so uh, one thing I want to pick your brain on as we start talking about trends in ministry, I I, I want to start with a complaint. Um, something that, okay. that just really frustrates me because I don't know what it means. Um, and I don't think anyone knows what it means is family ministries. I think that's right? how we met on Twitter. We, so you were complaining about something and I, what, was I it? reached out to like, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, I, 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 I don't remember, <laughs> but it, uh, by my response, you could tell that it's completely believable. Um, yeah, yeah, I know. I, Yeah. We'll leave that one alone. But it's like, what what in the world is family ministries? And I hear people talk about youth ministry and children's ministry and family ministry and parent ministry. And I'm just like, okay, youth ministry, I, I understand. Children's ministry, I understand. Parent ministry, okay, yeah. it, that can mean a lot of things, but it's still focused enough that I understand. Yeah. Family ministries, what... What is that? I, I I don't I don't know what you like. If everyone has a different definition for talking about family ministries, then just talking about family ministries isn't super helpful because no one knows yeah. what you mean by it. I think it's kind of like talking about relevance. Like no one thinks they're uh, irrelevant. So yeah. So what right. is what is family ministries? And am I on an island here? about my confusion uh, about the family ministry movement. I don't think you're on an island. I think I have more clarity about what the family ministry movement is than I do what a family ministry is in a local church. And right. so I think Illuminate me. Family, family ministry in a local church is, is kind of in the eye of a beholder. Okay, so to, to tell this, I have to sort of, we have to get in our time machine and go back to the Reformation and I have to tell you a little story about the Reformation, and then we can jump to the 1950s. Um, but the, the Reformation is happening in Germany, and Martin Luther um, has nailed the 95 Thesis on the door. Um, the German church is, is removing itself from the Catholic Church in Germany. They've recovered the beauty and the glory of the gospel, and Luther himself believes that the gospel is going to change people it's going to change their understanding of their vocation. And part of their understanding of their vocation is their understanding of God's calling upon them as parents to disciple their children, to disciple the next generation. And Luther initially, at the beginning of the Reformation, was convinced that if he preached the gospel clearly, that parents would be changed. They would understand the gospel. They'd teach the gospel to their kids. And their kids would be changed and understand the gospel, too. And that seemed to be happening okay in Wittenberg, where he was ministering. Mm -hmm. He takes this trip in 1520 
uh, to rural Saxony uh, out into the country. And um, he gets out there and he talks to the local pastors and he writes back um, and says, good God, what I beheld in Saxony. He's like, these people know nothing. He's like, the kids don't know the Ten Commandments. They don't know the Lord's Prayer. They don't know the Apostles' Creed. He's like, he's like, they need some kind of institutional help to help them understand the gospel. He's like, in Wittenberg, we have the seminary. Uh, we have a school that's training parents and in, in, in ministers and how to teach their children. And we're seeing a lot of fruitfulness. There's no, when you get out into rural Germany, there's no sort of institution that's helping kids do that. And so, uh, I mean, this is why even to this day, the Lutheran Church supports um, Christian schools so mm -hmm. strongly is because in response to that trip to Saxony, Luther writes uh, the smaller catechism. Um, he writes it in German to give to parents to teach their children. He writes it in Latin to give to school teachers to teach in Christian schools that they start founding kind of throughout the country and each of the, the small little towns, little schoolhouse schools where they'll teach literacy, but also, um, you know, the apostles creed, the 10 commandments, the Lord's prayer. All right. Fast forward to, um, seventies, eighties, nineties youth ministry. And, um, and I, I think what happens in America during the youth ministry movement, youth specialties at, at Zondervan, um, all of the big youth conferences across the country, there's an emphasis on contextualizing um, uh, ministry to youth in, in America. And so, you know, Billy Graham's uh, crusades are around the country, and he started off with uh, Young Life. Um, doing young, uh, uh, young life crusades. Um, mm -hmm. I, I may get the, or youth, may youth, have for the organization. youth for Christ, YFC, yep. um, yep. young life comes later, <laughs> but he's, he started out with YFC, um, doing those crusades. So tons, there's a very contextual youth ministry movement, but it creates this divide, I think, between the home, um, and contextual youth ministry in the church where there's almost this mentality of, of the youth minister is like the priest. And if I want to reach kids in the community, I need a youth pastor because mm -hmm. that's the contextual way you're going to reach the community. Yeah. And, and, you know, we even see this today. Like if my kid wants to pray to receive Christ, I'm going to go schedule an appointment with the youth pastors, talk with them about praying to receive Christ. There's a, there's a sense in which parents coming out of that movement, yeah. didn't feel empowered right. to raise their kids. So I think in the gospel-centered movement in the 90s and 2000s, the beginning of the Gospel Coalition, the beginning of T4G, those kinds of things, there was a real recovery of the centrality of the gospel that mirrored in some ways what happened back during the Reformation. This idea, and, and with that came this focus on parents being the primary faith tra trainers in their kids' lives. The idea is that if you understand the gospel, there's a real sense in which the you should be able to explain the gospel to your kids and disciple them in the faith. But what happened is, um, 
I think there was an overreaction to youth ministry movement. And, and you see this even, you know, guys like Bodie Bauckham, who wanted to like shut down any kind of youth ministry, shut down any sort of contextualized uh, youth ministry at all and say, it's just the parents' responsibility to teach their kids. And I, I think, uh, you know, if we don't know history, we're doomed to repeat it. Um, like basically repeating kind of what happened in the Reformation where there's such an emphasis on recovering the gospel that we miss sort of the practical means by which that gospel is passed on through discipleship. Um, and so I think groups like Nine Marks began to recover some of the like, here's the way the gospel's uh, passed on through ecclesiology. Um, here's the, and the family ministry movement, what I think it really has recovered is an emphasis on here is how the gospel is passed on through family discipleship. And so there's been an emphasis in family ministry movement writers on uh, doing youth and children's ministry in such a way that it's, it intentionally emphasizes discipleship where you have a comprehensive plan for thinking about discipleship from cradle to grave, where uh, or at least cradle to gra- graduation. Yeah. Um, this, this comprehensive um, thinking about equipping parents alongside doing ministry. The struggle is, I, I think personally, when this gets translated into what I think are weird, like assumptions about, how this needs to be a department of the church or how this need it needs to be a position. And I served as a family pastor for almost 13 years. So I don't, I don't think there's anything wrong with having a family pastor, but we were a big church. We were like a multi-site church with five congregations. And I was giving oversight to like, Mm -hmm. like multiple children's ministers and, and youth ministers. Um, and most churches are not big churches. Most churches are, are small churches. And so to think that you have to have a family pastor over youth and children um, in order to embody sort of the life of, um, of a parent equipping, um, like in- intentionally integrated discipleship oriented uh, structure where church and home partner together. And so I, that's my take on it is that a lot of churches are in this weird place where they've maybe seen the big church hire a family pastor or seen the big church create a family ministry department that is in charge of milestones like child dedication and the fifth, sixth grade transition and, and a baptism process and uh, a purity mm-hmm. uh, class for, for teenagers or a high school graduation class. Um, They've seen churches like invest in, okay, we're going to, we're going to put minister, we're going to have staff in charge of this in a larger church. And they feel like in order to embody the, um, the theology and the emphasis of the family ministry movement as a whole, they've got to have a family ministry department in their local church. Um, or, or some kind of thought that, um, um, maybe listening to those who have overreacted, um, we don't need youth ministry or we don't need children's ministry anymore. We just need family ministry. 
Um, which I, I think that's a, the decision on whether to do that or not is a Christian freedom decision in my mind. If you're in a church in China that's underground and um, you probably don't mean, need a separate children's and youth ministry, you're probably going to all be integrated together in your, your house church. I don't yeah. have like a children's ministry or youth ministry Bible verse. But in the American church, it seems like a little bit of an overreaction to me yeah. to say, um, let's just kill that. Um, to me, what's needed is to think of the family ministry movement is healthy, um, but it doesn't, it, it's, a, it's a set of principles yeah. more than it is a um, way to structure your staff yeah. and a way to think about um, um, I don't, I don't, more than it is an actual model. It's a model for ministry, I think, more than it right. is a, a program for ministry. Yeah. And I guess that's the thing that, that's concerned me over the last few years. Um, because, I mean, uh, uh, everything you've said, um, I, I completely agree with, um, and have explicitly advocated for, in my book, Biblical Theology of Youth Ministry, right? So, I mean, a lot of people who have read, am I allowed Which to self-promote my own book? Amazon it's my podcast. Buy. I can, I can leave should, my book. Go to Amazon and buy that right yeah. now. Yeah, go, go leave it. Leave a review. It'd be great. But anyway, I mean, in the book, I mean, I, I explicitly argue and say, um, youth ministry who does not, that does not partner with parents for family discipleship is unbiblical and wrong. Right? Um, and, right. and so... I, I just think that's that's just that's just biblical. Uh, we we want to be biblical youth workers, but I think that it, I I really agree with what you're saying with the overreaction from a lot of the reformed gospel centered community when a lot of the dropout rates were kind of a big deal about ten years ago, and um, a lot of the attractional uh, churches kind of doubled down on. Um, okay, well, we're going to go and do Elevation and Bethel and Hillsong Extreme and like it, double down on, on all that and just do church better than we've ever done it before to attract kids to stay. And then on the other hand, you've had uh, a bunch of people just say, well, youth ministry is a failed experiment. It's a weed in the church. It's not meant to be reformed, but to be uprooted and plucked out. And so we're going to do that and just call it family ministries under the banner of just telling parents that they need to disciple their kids. And um, so I just get concerned sometimes when I hear people advocating family ministry without qualifying, what do you mean by it? Because if what you mean by it is family ministry to keep the children's ministry and the youth ministry and the overall ministry of the church in alignment in partnership with parents for discipling their kids that is biblical family ministry that is really helpful that is clear that is mm -hmm. good but in a uh, maybe it's me being a new englander where a big church is a church with 500 people that is like a mega church yeah. here um yeah. th that in a small church i just i don't i don't see how you have a youth children's and family ministry all it, it just seems convoluted and really confusing and like you like you said you're probably borrowing 
some generally helpful ideas that big churches and that movements and organizations are are leading and advocating, but in your small church context, is just muddy and kind of confusing. Yeah. Well, and I, I, or you're overreacting, yeah. uh, like some within the reform movement have, and and I think those who overreact, I think what they miss um, is the good that was there in the youth ministry movement, um, that there, there is a biblical uh, principle of contextualization. Um, there's yeah. a biblical principle of becoming yeah. all things to all people. Yeah. And that there are, um, the church has a responsibility to be sought and preserved, but it also has a responsibility to be light uh, to those who are, are outside. And there are a number of kids um I mean, and if you're listening, and if you're in the Reform Gospel Center movement, you were some of those kids. You mm-hmm. came to faith in college or in high school because someone shared the gospel with you uh, through that those youth ministry movement programs. Many of you, like, like, don't deny your own testimony. Like, it, I think what has happened very often is that um, the when we when we can be light and when we can be outward. And, and when we can be contextual um, and, and, and reach out to those who maybe don't have parents who know the Lord, parents who are being the primary faith trainers in their life, and the church gets to be adoptive parents through them. One of the best ways to do that is, is through, um, because it's very difficult to uh, get parents who are already parenting their own kids to like adopt you know, an extra youth for yeah. for the sake of discipleship, but a program, uh, the church programmatically can do that a way where a series of volunteers yeah. over time can be that person. And I think we just miss out on on the glory and the beauty of of a contextual ministry done well because we've seen it neglect discipleship, or we've seen it like value church growth principles more than intentional ministry. Mm -hmm. And so I think we need to critique those things that were wrong in the youth ministry movement, um, ways that, you know, the emergent church left the gospel or, or, um, you know, postmodern philosophy was adopted too quickly. Um, but the heart, the missional heart for evangelism, uh, biblical contextualization is not something we need to, to quickly abandon. Yeah. That, that that's really good. So we have gone. So originally, this conversation was going to be on trends in pastoral ministry, and now we're about twenty two minutes deep. Um, so <laughs> l- l- let's just keep pivoting uh, with this. So as we think about trends in ministry, instead of getting really digging into some of those because we don't we don't have time for that so much. But as you um, as you've observed different trends over the course of of your ministry and and leadership. Um, how do you how do we practice discernment in those to see what is maybe the Lord doing um, that He wasn't doing before, or there there's something new in our culture that is a gospel opportunity for us to to lead on versus what is just trendy and what's just like the latest carnival in town for the next year until something else moves in, right? Like how how do we practice discernment? when it comes to trends in ministry? Oh, that's a big question, Mike. Um, I mean, I, I think 
I think the first thing is commune with the Lord um, to make sure you as the minister are spending time in the word of prayer. Um, this is like an old preacher illustration, but you know, they don't, they don't teach uh, bank tellers what uh, counterfeit money looks like. They teach them what money looks like. They teach them what the gospel looks like, you know, to teach them what real money looks like. Mm-hmm. And because they know money so well, they yeah. can recognize the counterfeit. And I think in the same way, if we can uh, get back to the basics and know the gospel, know the central message of, of justification, um, discern, discern how to distinguish law and gospel, discern how to distinguish a performance culture um, from a covenant culture, um, learn a biblical ecclesiology, uh, train ourselves in a, in a solid systematic um, yeah. and real discipleship. So I, I think that that training in the truth, that that knowing the good news of the gospel will help us discern where the counterfeits are. I think second is relationally, um, being relationally connected to a local church, um, being accountable to pastors in a local church, um, and then a willingness to discern together um, as leaders in a local church uh, what is true and what is false, uh, what is righteous and what is what is unrighteous. Um, I, I think in community, typically there's an emphasis on character um, as opposed to what's flashy. Um, mm-hmm. It's easy to get distracted individually by what's flashy and whole churches can. It's true. Um, but if a, if a group of leaders is actually spending time listening to one another, um, typically I think there's a pullback to godly character. Yeah. Um, a lot of the big uh, failures in ministry um, happen because guys cut themselves off from community. And so the more that we can press into community and listen to dissenting voices, um, the less we'll, we'll have a tendency to get pulled in, in bad directions. And so I think knowing the truth of the gospel, being in word and prayer, walking in the spirit and then being with his people are, are the best way forward. I mean, that that's not like a yeah 10 steps to discern whether or not this new trend is right or wrong. But I, I think, I think that that is the way forward. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then just realizing you're going to, you're going to make some missteps and yeah. you know, the whole of Christian life is repentance. So yeah, admit when you're wrong and, and turn around. Yeah, that's good wisdom. So, um, I, I'm I'm realizing you're you're probably the perfect person for me to have had this breakdown about family ministry with. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, as the guy who who leads a gospel centered family, right? Um, so, so I've already attacked family ministry. Uh, now let me attack gospel centered ministry. Uh, with the same complaint, what is it? Because, and again, I'm all on board for family ministry. I'm all on board for gospel-centered ministry. So this isn't me actually complaining about either of these things, just the way I've seen them misdefined and misapplied. Um, 
so I mean, we're, we're both old enough, frankly, and and have been in lo- ministry long enough that we remember when the gospel-centered movement came on and everyone was all, oh, it's just a trend, it'll be gone in a couple of years. And uh, certainly some some people who are on the gospel-centered train have gotten off by now. But I, I'm thankful that the gospel-centered um, philosophy isn't just a fad. It, it does seem like something that the Lord has graciously done in the church to restore. Uh, but there's still a lot of confusion about what gospel-centered ministry actually is. So, um, yeah, you, you're you're with TGC now, so that's like, you know, the mecca of gospel-centered ministry, right? So, you must have the best answer in the world. No pressure. Uh, what is <laughs> gospel? Uh, I'm just unhinged right now. Uh, so, what what is gospel centered ministry? Yeah, um, I think this conviction um, that Jesus saves sinners is the gospel, and then this conviction that that saves you individually. It transforms your relationships and it transforms the world cosmically. Um, And then building ministry in such a way that that truth and message informs and transforms what we do. Um, And so I don't think we, we certainly don't need to get away from Jesus saves sinners. Yeah. Um, and that that is the pathway for, for individual salvation. Um, I think the biggest problem in the church and outside the church is legalism. I'm still convinced yeah. that the biggest problem both inside and outside the church is a culture of performance, either performing by trying to be good or performing in a licentious way by trying to be as bad as possible, but justifying my own personal identity, um, identifying in certain ways in order to make myself instead of receiving my identity, extra nos outside of my, my salvation outside of myself, um, and allowing that to transform who I am. I, I think that should center our ministry. I, I, that, message of of what the gospel does for the individual but it's not just individual if that's who the gospel is individually then we belong to god and we belong to his people Mm -hmm. we belong to one another and it should change our relationships um and if that's true it actually changed if the resurrection is true then it's not just Jesus who's going to be resurrected, but the whole world that's going to be resurrected. And so believing the world will be just one day changes not just our relationships with each other, but systems and structures and the the world work as well. And so I I don't want to be apologetic by that gospel message being at the center of what we do. I think when the gospel-centered movement was at its best, we were centered and we were, we were a centered set people first, more than a bounded set people. Now, I, I think, I believe in church discipline. I believe that we have ecclesiological confessions and boundaries that are really important. But the unity, I mean, the reason Baptists and Presbyterians and, and Lutherans and, and like Christian Reformed people got together in the first place 
is because we believe the gospel was what centered us mm-hmm. and got us together. The reason Democrats and Republicans got together in the first place is because we believed it was what the gospel itself that centered us. Yeah. Um, and so we were a centered set people first, not a bounded set people. And if you go back and you read uh, the Gospel Coalition's Theological Vision for Ministry, on the, on the website, it's still there. Tim Keller wrote it years ago. You would feel like he wrote it for yesterday mm-hmm. and for the craziness that happens on the internet and the the craziness of the neo-fundamentalist legalism on the one side or the progressive legalism on the other side that's infected our church yeah. right now. Um, and I, I'm just convinced that, I mean, that's why I called uh, the coaching and consulting ministry, website ministry that, uh, that we do through Gospel-Centered Family, Gospel-Centered Family. Um, I wasn't just trying to hop on a trend. Like, I'm convinced mm-hmm. that is the answer. Um, I, I mean, I want to sing Jesus is the answer for the world today because I'm a 90s youth group kid. But I, I, <laughs> I'm convinced. <laughs> I, I'm convinced that is the that is the the answer yeah. going forward, and will continue to be. Um, and I, I think it's problematic when. I, not when we emphasize a, a group. I mean, I don't think it's problematic that a group like Nine Marks emphasizes ecclesiology. I mean, that's their mission and calling. I I, I don't think it's problematic that my ministry emphasizes family because that's my ministry and calling. Mm-hmm. But I but I do think in terms of what is going to unify the evangelical church uh, going forward, um, and what I think is going to save people from burning out in ministry. Um, or burning out in family life, or, or you know, yeah. is is a renewal, um, in the gospel first, um, and letting, uh, like we were talking about a minute ago, letting knowing the currency of the gospel and the genuineness of the currency of the gospel show you where all the counterfeits yeah. are out in the world. Um, I. I love, you know, for example, what uh, Ray Ortland and Sam Albury are doing uh, when they talk about gospel culture. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because what they're saying is there's a central message of the gospel that if we really grasp it, changes our relationships to and changes the culture of our ministry and the culture of our church. I mean, I think, um, uh, is it Vince that's youth minister? Yeah. Yeah, that Emmanuel has written about yeah. this for your yeah. website. Um, like I, I think that that message of the way we shape that the central message of of the heart of justification in Jesus shapes the way we live and what we do um, is is still really really important. And um, and so I'm sad that people think it's trendy. I'm sad that it's gotten stuck like a bumper sticker on things that aren't really gospel centered. Um, But at the end of the day, I feel like Paul and Philippi, like I'm not going to spend my time complaining about that. If people want to preach Jesus because it's trendy, then more power to them. They're preaching Jesus. And, um, and because Jesus is the answer. So anyway, that's, that's where I am on that. Yeah. 
That's thanks uh, for inviting me to preach. Yeah, no. <laughs> so that was uh, my, hey, that was hey, I I am I am here for that sermon any day, every day, and um, yes, and amen. Um, yeah. So you're just a godlier man than I am, and being more patient when you hear people talk about, well, we're a gospel-centered ministry. And it's like, no, your gospel-present ministry, right? The, the gospel is present in your ministry, <laughs> but it is not central. It is not central in your ministry. And it's just, yeah, it's just really, it's hard. And it, it gets me amped up to see curriculum and other things presented as gospel-centered ministry, and then people buy them and use them and teach them. And it's, been promoted as a gospel-centered thing, and it's like the gospel is present in this, but it, it does not embody the vision that you were saying, uh, where the gospel really propels and drives out a whole big life vision of what does the gospel mean for all of it. So, yeah, I, that Jared, that was really helpful. I tell you, it gives me patience. Yeah. Um, I heard Tabidi Anabule talk about a year ago, um, last September. And one thing he said really stuck out to me. He said, legalism is our native tongue. Yeah. Um, and I, I think recognizing the fact that legalism is my per, performance yeah. culture is my native tongue. Yeah. Um, performance, um, b- making myself, making my own identity is my native tongue too. Yeah. And so when I see other ministries start speaking legalism as, <laughs> when I when I see them kind of like drift toward other other things other than the gospel, I just I'm just like, oh, you're like me. Um and <laughs> you're just like me. Yeah. I do that too. And that gives me a little bit of patience. Um now if I'm with them one on one, I want to confront it. Yeah. Um but um and and but I'm just gonna stay I'm by God's grace, by repenting again and again, I'm going to stay true to preaching the gospel message God has given me, and um, and it's not going to fail because it won't. Amen. That's a good word to end on. So, Jared, thank you, thank you for your friendship, thank you for your godliness, thank you for your ministry. Um, any final closing word that you want to share before we wrap up? Hold fast to Jesus, guys. Just hold on to Him. He's holding on to you. Amen. Well, thanks for joining us for this conversation. Please visit youthpastortheologian.com to learn more about our resources. You can find us on social media at Youth Theologian. We also have an active Facebook group where you can ask questions, share articles, and generally encourage fellow youth pastor theologians who are in the trenches with you. We'd sure appreciate it if you'd be so kind as to subscribe, leave a review, or even recommend this podcast to fellow youth workers. You can also subscribe to get new articles delivered to your inbox and to ensure that you don't miss any fresh content by checking out our website at youthpastortheologian.com. Most of all, we appreciate your ministry and your partnership in the gospel. If there's a topic that you'd like us to address or if you have an article to submit for the blog, then you can also share those on our website by following the submissions tab. In the meantime, keep your eyes on Jesus. And we'll see you next week.